I got a haircut. Oh, yeah, it does look a little shorter. Yeah, pretty cool. You look nice, dude. Thank you. You look handsome. Uh, okay, so you've been in Telluride. Yes, I was in Telluride, Telluride, Colorado, for the Telluride Film Festival. Which you've been to how many times now? A lot. I've received the Silver Medallion Award there three times. One year I shared it with Tilda Swinton, and that was really fun. She's sweet. I really love her. She's a sweetheart. Yeah, she's a sweetheart, and just a, a hard worker. Um, really hard worker. Like, frankly, I don't work that hard, and I still get the medals, but yeah, she works so, 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 so hard. Just to achieve a third of what you've achieved. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, no, no, no. I've, yeah, I've been going, I mean, you know, you and I went for the first time both at the same time. Sophomore year of college. Sophomore year of college with... A formative trip. Yeah, a very formative trip with a professor who started that trip. Janet. You were having a feeling when you, on the first day... You want to talk about this? A little bit, because I feel, I feel like by the end of the trip, you that feeling kind of dissipated. Uh, yeah. You don't have to. Oh, well, I mean, it's it's okay. So I'll, how about this? The first time we went to Telluride, you and I went. Yeah. I had this really weird sensation when I was up there uh, that I really don't really know how to describe, but it was like I was like, um, I just felt like depressed by the whole thing. Yeah. And I just felt like I was wasting my time a lot of ways. And I came back and I chopped out of college like the next day. Right. Correct. Yeah. Sophomore yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't tell Janet, so I was like in Janet's class, go to tell you with her, and then I come back and I just drop out. I know, I know. I remember. Yeah. Um, and it sounded like you experiencing a similar feeling on the first day. Oh, uh, yeah. I, when I, just this past year, I really wanted to drop out of college. Um, <laughs> for the listeners, for Tom at home, I'm 22. Steve and I have been friends since he was 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really weird thing. Like, remember how we told the story about how Parker asked me to come up to his room and drink whiskey with him? <laughs> I was 12. <laughs> you know how he fell asleep on top of me? <laughs> All of our all of our past stories in the in the previous episodes have yeah. taken on whole new meaning because everyone finds out that I've that m- for most of that time I was a young boy an underage yeah. boy. You're mean to me because I've groomed you. <laughs> we made it for you, a podcast about Tom Cruise. We made it for you, a podcast about Tom Cruise. We made it for you, a podcast about Tom Cruise. We made it for you, a podcast about Tom Cruise. Anyway, yeah, I'm drinking a Old Fashioned, I figured. It's in a nice glass. Looks like a nice glass. Is that a round ice cube, it looks like? A round ice cube that I have a little mold, a little ice mold thing from the fridge. Very nice. Yeah, this glass was, uh, my friend Gabe stole it for me from Las Vegas. He likes to occasionally steal glasses from restaurants or places like that if there's a nice one. And he's got a good little collection, which is, I think, harmless theft in my opinion. I don't know. I had a friend who owns a brewery and he like, it's killing him. People stealing his glasses. He has like nice glasses that he like. Vegas though? Come on. Yeah. I mean, the house always wins. Yeah, the house always wins. I uh, was rushing up to do this because I got the time zone mixed up. So I yelled at my sister. I'm at my sister and mom's house. Make me house. a drink. I was like, yeah, I'm like, could you please make me a cocktail? And so she's like, here's a cocktail. I'm like, what's in it? And she's like, tequila and lime and margarita mix. And I was like, okay. So, <laughs> so you made a margarita? <laughs> extra lime. Yeah, it's, it's good. And I think some lime seltzer water too. Yeah, that's not bad. That's kind of tasty. A little, honestly, 
a little splash of something else in a margarita is really nice. I used to make them when I bartended, which I suppose we'll talk about maybe a little bit since we're talking about cocktail today. Uh, if we have to. I would always do a little bit of dash of orange juice in there. And it was, it was kind of nice. Gave it a nice color. She, uh, on the rim of this glass, salt, of course, but also course, yeah. um, Korean chili flakes. Now, I got a question. Is there salt on the inside of the rim? Did she do the... Because, you know, there's a trick there where a lot of people, what they do is they put salt in a little plate and lime juice in a little plate. This is technically not the right way to do it, but you like sink the top of the cup into the lime juice and then bring it over to the salt and sink it in there. So there's salt on the outside of the rim of the glass and the inside, but that's not the way you're supposed to do it. That's like not the... That's literally how everyone does it. No, but you're supposed to roll the glass on the outside. The salt and everything should only be on the outside of the glass. That's the correct way to do it. Well, they have those little like multi-pack trays, like a little wet sponge that's circular shape and you press into that and then you got like another compartment of salt. Yes, but technically for margaritas, it's not the right way because it's like a purity thing. It muddies the drink. The salt should only be on the outside, not right, soaking right, right. into the inside of the drink. I don't know where I heard this. I thought my mom did it, but I guess not. But you, if you make a blended margarita, you put some egg white in there, and it kind of makes it like a fro- like a frothier, almost like a meringue. Interesting. Like a weird whiskey sour margarita. I thought that's what she did my entire life, but then we were watching Cocktail Her Night Every Night, and she like gagged when he put the fucking egg yolk in his drink. So clearly she wasn't doing that. Well, he put egg yolk. Egg white's a different thing. That's what you do when you make a whiskey sour. You put egg white. If egg yolk makes you gag in a drink, you're probably not going to put egg white in the drink either. It's better. I I mean, have, have you had a mini whiskey sours? They're real fucking good. Real fucking tasty. Whiskey sours? Yeah. There's no egg yolks and fucking... What are you talking egg, about? There's egg white is what I'm and saying. whiskey sour? Look it up. That's how you're supposed to make it. Egg white? Look it up, bitch. Optionally, dash of egg white. Optionally. Okay. Well, I think that's the way you do it. That's how you get the frothy head, like top of the drink there. That's how you get that. Yeah. So you were, you were a bartender or you were a bar back? I was a bartender. I was a bartender too. I, don't I care. was a bartender. They didn't play that song in that in this movie. I don't get it. They played a lot of good songs in this movie. They did. It's got a great soundtrack. Okay. So by the way, I do want to start doing this. So let's just say we're talking about cocktail today. I'm Stephen Kuhn. You are? I'm Parker Smith. Just, you know, we say who we are for people who maybe we're getting new listeners. It's good to say who we are. I think this is what other podcasts do. You know, it's a professional thing to do. Yeah. I mean, by this point, Tom knows who we are. So I Tom like knows who we are at this point. Yeah. Exactly. So whatever. But yeah, whatever. I don't know. I, yeah. He no. He's listened to every episode. He just hasn't reached out yet. He's waiting. He's waiting for the opportune moment. But uh uh, yeah, and this is We Made It For You, a podcast about Tom Cruise, and that pretty much sums it up. I don't really think we need to do too, I think we're done. Do too much. Yeah, we're done. End of episode. Anyway, here we so are, you, you, talking so you were, about Tom again. Oh, yeah, I was a bartender. In New York. Correct. I was a bartender in New York. Uh, were you at a TGI Fridays? God, dude. Yeah, God, I cannot wait to get... Uh, it's going to be so funny to talk about this movie, but... You know, TJ Fridays didn't used to be a joke. Like, it used to, like, it was like a serious, like, kind of... It was a it was developed in the 60s to be like a kind of a socialite cocktail hour kind of club where men and women can both go. Cracked.com, you ever read Cracked.com? Of course. They had an article about TJ Fridays right back in the day, so... Oh, this is, this is old information. You didn't look... Because I was thinking... It's just in my head, yeah. I was thinking I should look this up, because when they first are going into TGI Fridays, I was like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? Why is TGI Fridays the happening place? In the Lower East Side, a neighborhood that was like full of like pilots and stewardesses, and it was like a fucking hip, swinging, like, airline kind of cocktail club. Yeah. And obviously, I think this movie Cocktail is the, I'd say the best use of TGI Fridays in a movie. Second best <laughs> would be in The Zookeeper, where the bear really wants to go to TGI Fridays with K. 
Kevin James. Oh, funny, funny, funny. I was thinking, isn't don't they go to TGI Fridays in Talladega Nights? Isn't that like the whole like the family loves to go to? T- no, I think Applebee's. that's Applebee's. You're right, it's yeah. Applebee's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yes. So I bartended in New York at a place called Videology, which was in Williamsburg, which was uh, sort of a cool place, a staple that a lot of people went to. It was a video store slash bar. It was originally a video store that then changed themselves into like a bar with like a small theater slash event space in the back. We still rented movies there, which I also did. Like I, I didn't start out as a bartender. I was started out as like w- written the movies and like helping to plan and ho- here I, what am I doing? Give my resume, whatever. I did a lot of shit there and it was, uh, it was a really fun time, but I also kind of at times really hated it, but I do look back on it really fondly, but videology had, they had screenings of films. Yes. Yeah. They played Ramblin' Freak. You put that on. What's that? It's a movie that I made that you actually hosted the Q&A with myself and Greg Valentino. And that stands out to me because uh, remember I was up there, obviously, staying with you. And yeah. I had a shirt. I thought what my best shirt I thought I had on. And it was like it was a button down shirt. And I had the top couple buttons undone. And you were like, no, 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 it's too Texas. Like, what are you doing? You got to button that up some more. And I refused. That's true. I yeah. refused. But now when I see the photos, I look back. That's too fucking much chest. You were obsessed with showing chest, dude. And it's so weird because it's like... Not that good. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, come on, dude. I have a good, I have a luscious V of chest hair. You cannot react sadly because then it doesn't make it funny. It's not funny when I'm mean and you're sad. How should I react to that? No, I have a great chest. Ha ha ha. That's awesome. Funny, Steven. Thanks for making fun of me. I love you. Good <laughs> one. Good one, buddy. Yeah, so you, you were a bar back and occasionally bartended. No, I was a bartender. I fucking bar, I started out, uh, basically at a certain point, I was doing a lot of freelance film shit and working at Videology, but because I worked at Videology and like, you know, had to have, you know, it's a fucked up thing. It's hard to like freelance and hold down a regular job because you end up having to sort of choose one or the other. And so uh, eventually I was like, one, uh, freelancing as like a PA and, you know, camera assistant or whatever was stupid and was not good. Well, you had one of the best PA gigs of all time. Which was what? When you picked up Billy Omada's house. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I had some fun experiences so, 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 doing so, so, Tom, that. Tom, Stephen picked up Billy Omada. Not at his house, at a hotel or something that he was staying at. Yeah, yeah. At a hotel at like, what, five in the morning? Yeah, 5 a.m., yeah, yeah, yeah. And you didn't, you, you were nervous, so you turned on some classical music. <laughs> well, I wasn't, I didn't know what to play. I honestly didn't know what to play, and I was like sitting there waiting for him, like kind of rolling through channels and switching back and forth. And then honestly, no, I think I had like some channel on, and then he had already gotten in the car, and then I switched it, and I, I didn't mean to it just happened to like switch over and it went to a classical music channel and I was like okay I'll leave it on this and then he kind of like at a red light he kind of looked up at me like through his glasses and he was like you know you don't have to listen to this just because I'm in the car and I was like ah and we had a good little laugh. I thought he was like he's like are you are you listening to so and so's fifth movement at at five in the morning? That's exactly right. Wow, you remember the story better than me. Um, And then he uh, you you somehow you brought up Macy Gray and he didn't know who that was. Oh yeah, why did I bring up Macy Gray? (laughs) I don't know, but I just imagine like a year later like. He, there's a Yo-Yo Ma Macy Gray collaboration that like you <laughs> you incepted. I was yeah yeah I got that. That's that'd be good. Um, that was cool when I got to see him perform like on a rooftop at sunrise. Yeah yeah it was really cool. And he was playing uh, what's that fucking song? The one that goes. Wish I knew. I feel like an idiot that I don't know what that song is. But anyway, it's a great song. Are they even called songs? <laughs> it's like a piece, right? Like, <laughs> you're right. 
I mean, I think they are, but I do think it sounds goofy to refer to them as a song. It does kind of sound funny, but. but yeah, so I also was a bartender at um, what? When? When were you a bartender? When the film society. <gasps> oh, that's right. That's not really. A, you weren't. A, that's not a real bartender. Uh, I. <laughs> When the film society took over the theater, <laughs> they fired all the bartenders. They didn't fire the bartenders, but like they basically brought on myself and some others. You were a scab bartender. No. Basically, they, they didn't have a liquor license, so they had beer donated to us. Right. And then we gave it away. Right. Two beer tickets for every ticket bought. And, uh, and somehow, like, before the liquor license went away, it was Halloween, and a lady dressed as Frida Kahlo asked me to make her a margarita. And I was like... Oh, fuck. I was like, well, you got to tell me what's in that because I don't know what's in a margarita. And she like she walked me through it and I made a pretty good one. I think that's pretty good. I mean, margarita is like one of the easiest drinks in the entire world to, to make. There was like a simple syrup I had to put in there, triple sec, tequila, lime, you know. And you just shake it all up? Yeah, it was. I was nervous. Throw it in a glass with some rocks, dude. Yeah, so anyway, I bartended, and uh, it was a good time. I do like it, and I miss it a little bit. I was never a very good bartender. Like, I'm not really, I, like, you know, some of the people that I worked with could, like, people could, you know, tell them, I'm, I want something kind of like this, and, like, they could, like, throw something together, and they, like, understood, like, what flavors worked well with this kind of thing, and, like, what, you know, citrus did, you know, like, if you're using it, which I guess I know this, but, like, if you're making a drink, essentially, that doesn't have citrus, you're mostly going to stir that beverage. And then if there's a drink that does have citrus, you shake it. Interesting. I don't know the right word. It just, like, opens up the citrus flavors to shake it in the ice, basically. Yeah. I made a lot of cocktails working for Spencer, probably, like, one or two a night for, like, four or five years. Spencer basically called me in there and had me make him these, you know, ridiculous cocktails with, like, four or five ingredients. And I made it. I fucking killed it. I'd shake it up or stir it. You know, sometimes. Yeah, that's what I did. I'd always done. I, I, I never did the flare bartending like Tom does in this movie. Oh, no, that's just Obviously, crazy. we're kind of dragging our feet getting into this movie because I think this movie does suck. It does, but I also like kind of love it in a way. I mean, it's like one of like, like, like a fun, bad movie, but this movie did win Worst Picture at the Razzies. Right. And I think um, I read, you know, somewhere that Tom Cruise not really disowned it. He didn't like, you know, it wasn't outright. But a few years after the movie, he said he, he was like, it's not a crown jewel in my career, basically. And he kind of, you know, that was his subtle way of saying, yeah, he didn't think it was that great of a movie. Yeah, I was just trying to find the exact quote so you could actually say it correctly. I think that's pretty much what it was. Not a crown and jewel in his career. That's, yep, that's what I said. Okay. Well, you just like said like a fucking idiot. You're like, uh, he said like, uh, what did I, he said like it was like, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It's really funny. It's not funny. It's pathetic. Yeah, I know. Okay, there you go, dude. There you go with that. People don't want to hear that. It doesn't sound good from you. Sounds good from me. Yeah, I guess let's just get into the movie because we really should. I actually think this will be kind of a good one to really focus on Tom. I think Tom's very good in it, even though he's like delivering some terrible lines. Well, and I think even though he's kind of like going big, but like it does showcase a lot of what is really great about Tom and what he gives us after this for the next 10 or so years. Like it's that kind of Tom. It's like there's like Jerry Maguire in there. Honestly, what I was thought thinking the whole time is I thought this was really like a combination of I see Jerry Maguire Tom and I see Frank T.J. Mackey Tom. Like I thought both of those were living within this character a little bit. Right. Like when he gets up, which is I think one of the better scenes of the movie, when he gets up at Cell Block, the bar. This is, not, this is like so stupid, this scene, but yeah. But it's awesome though. It is. It's so stupid. But his thing is he does poems. <laughs> well, also, well, the whole bar doesn't make any fucking sense. It's like everyone's standing around like 
it's like a weird performance art thing at this fucking insane looking bar that's you know this bar is three stories all balcony one bar at the bottom looks like a prison to with two bartenders that nobody is seemingly ordering from like until after tom makes this you know delivers this big speechifying poem and then he says like bar is open and then everyone starts ordering drinks and and it's like you know the whole time too i was like this would fucking suck. Like, it's going to take everybody to get everyone like one hour to get a drink because these idiots are like tossing around bottles and and doing all these crazy things. And borderline, you know, there's something funny. It was like, I feel like nine times out of ten in the movie, they're making drinks and then they just cheers each other and drink them. It's like they seem to not be making drinks for anybody else. Like, it's so bizarre. Yeah. I don't know. I love that. I, I mean, I loved it. In, I mean, yes, it's goofy as hell. It's very dumb. And that's kind of the whole movie a little bit. But I really love that scene. And, you know, that is Tom. Like, it felt like he was like Frank T.J. Max up on the stage like talking and saying stuff and he's like yeah. performing but there's a little bit of the Jerry McGuire I don't know it was just like he's so because he's so he does really well when like he's has a chance to like be on like hold court yes absolutely and, like kind of he monologues like a motherfucker you he know? does absolutely but that part also made me think I'm curious to hear what you think about this because I do feel like the first 20 30 minutes of this I was like I was kind of into it and I was like this is kind of good and it seems sort of like they're trying to make this movie about like capitalism in the age and then it almost seemed like even when he gives the poem, he says, like, I am the world's last bartender, right, or whatever, because the guy who gives does the poem first says, like, I am the world's last yuppie poet or whatever. Oh, he says, I'm the world's last poet bartender or something. That's what Tom Cruise says, whatever the line. It's something like that, right? But he gives a speech about, like, Americans being, like, he's, it's the, the poem is something about, like, Americans loving drinks and loving bars and whatever. Well, the poem's all about, like, I'll make you a cocktail, yada, yada, yada. yada. But if you want to get drunk, have a shot. Right, but he's says something like well god to help you if you can't remember it idiot it doesn't matter it Bitch. doesn't matter there seemed to be a point there seemed to be a I thought at that point the movie was going to almost have something to do with like people are addicted to two things, capitalism and alcohol or something like that. And I thought I thought there was going to be something going on there, which which there is a little bit. And then the movie completely. Yeah, this is no risky business. Like, yeah, yeah, no. 100 percent. Like, this is like a like a dumber risky business. I absolutely. Yes, you're right. And I absolutely did think for, you know, the first 25, 30 minutes, I was like, oh, this could potentially be a really good companion piece to risky business. Oh, OK, so like Tom has his mentor, Coughlin, who like quotes himself or something. Yeah, okay, but also it does look like it should be Coughlin because it's like C A U G H or something, but it's like Coughlin or like Coughlin. Coughlin. Like yeah. he, uh, you're talking about this philosopher, but it's like he's quoting himself all the time, like Coughlin's rule of, you know. Yeah, Coughlin's rule. You know who he is? You know who he is? Brian Brown. The only other thing that I really know him from is he's in Along Came Polly. He's like the rich billionaire oh, God. Australian adventure seeker who the whole thing is like, should they or should they yeah. not give him life insurance or whatever, yeah. like, it, or, you know, whatever the whole thing is. He's the Richard Branson kind of guy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which, sorry to jump, the basketball scene in this feels almost. Reminded me of Along Came Polly. Of Along Came Polly with Philip Seymour Hoffman. And it's so weird that there's that connection. The basketball scene is so bad. It is bad. And it's so goofy. But also raindrop. He's sinking those fucking shots, and I was kind of like, "Oh, Tom gets to kind of show that he rocks in like two forms of artistry: basketball and bartending." I'm waiting for a movie that Tom's gonna do where he didn't have to like spend six weeks 
learning a new skill. There is no movie. I mean, I, I borderline wonder if he is maybe the actor who has like like had the most variety in like a type of trade that he had to learn for a performance or something like that. Yeah, he has the most bullshit skills of any actor. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, he can make a cocktail on a jet. Yeah, well, and then beat somebody in nine ball and race motorcycles and jump out. Yeah. I mean, it's just insane. You know, it's like a he really does seem I think you kind of said this in Top Gun a little bit. He is just collecting skills and experiences that yeah. he, you know, yeah. But, but, you know, that said, this is maybe the lamest one. Obviously, I think making a good drink is awesome. Yeah. But tossing on a bottle, fuck off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not going to tip you more because you, like, toss around a fucking bottle. And I don't understand the bottle thing because, like, would it not just fucking spill out when it's flipping around like that? I think probably if there's enough centrifugal force or something, it stays in, you know, it's like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So after he does the big poem thing, some photographer at the bar is like in love with him. Gina Gershon, who is awesome. I love Gina Gershon. You know the character's name? No, what's her name? I don't remember. Coral. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. And like, you know, and Tom, like, bangs are good. Which... <laughs> Yes. There's a funny trivia about that just on IMDb where I guess Tom had learned that Gina Gershon was very ticklish. And so like while they were filming the scene, oh, just yeah. tickled her a bunch. And that's like the take that they and they fell off the bed because she was so ticklish. And yeah. that's just the, the take that they used in the movie or something. But, but yeah, but there's a bizarre thing where like she's kind of pushing him, I guess, maybe a little bit to like. He, they want to create this bar called Cocktails and Dreams, he and Coughlin. It's Tom's idea. Well, and then they want to do a, he, he pitches the Jamaica thing, but it's like they go to Jamaica, but then they also travel the world and bartender all over the place or something like that. that was, I honestly didn't understand the business. They never travel the world. No, but that was what the business proposition was. Right, he right, says, right, right, right. He shows him the titty poster that says Jamaica on it with the wet titties. And then Gina Gershon's like, isn't it great? So Tom, wait, wait, back up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The second moment you see Tom is on a Greyhound bus and he's reading how to turn your idea into a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was like a funny, it's like a, like a, you know, sort of a, a goofy, like, screenplay mechanic, like, you know, have your character read a book about what he wants to do with himself. Yeah. And I was like, that's interesting. And I was like, what's his idea? I thought this guy has an idea. And you come to find out, 20 minutes in, he's got no idea. He has no idea. He just wants to be rich. That's what makes this movie <laughs> yeah. so, that's what makes this movie so odd, because it's not like, you know what I did think about while watching this, and, and this goes into what I was just about to say? I thought about Magic Mike quite a bit. Okay. In terms of, like, I kind of think Cochlin is... Coughlin? What the fuck's his name? Coughlin. Coughlin. It's Coughlin. It's McConaughey. Is kind of McConaughey. Is a little bit McConaughey where like they're in business with each other and they're like a mentor mentee kind of thing. But then he fucks him over a little bit, whatever. And there's a little bit of the showmanship aspect, whatever. And obviously there's no kid character like Tom Cruise's Brian Flanagan character both is the kid in Magic Mike and Magic Mike, you know? Yeah. And then the fact that I was thinking because this had so much to do with like the economy and capitalism and blah, blah, blah. It made me think of Magic Mike a little bit. And I think in Magic Mike, the smart idea is that, you know, he has something that is his, his actual true passion right. that he wants to do. And the, you know, the stripping is just the thing that he's trying to do to get there. In this, what's so funny is, yeah, what you're saying, he has nothing. He just wants to be rich. And then it's a weird thing where like, actually his, his magic, his kind of what becomes a passion, even though he denies it the whole time. I mean, is the bartender. He is a great fucking bartender. I mean, yeah. it's in a stupid way, but still, nonetheless. Yeah, it sort of becomes, like, he, he's got nothing. He's going to school. Yeah. I like the job interview montage. Oh, yeah. That was pretty solid. He has, like, 
sort of that bigger kind of poofy oh. Donald Trump hair. Dude, the whole movie though, he had 70 different haircuts. Did you notice that? I think they shot things weirdly out of sequence. There are parts where he was like in his apartment with that big kind of poofier hair and then all of a sudden it cuts and he's at the bar and he has a little bit of the shorter like Top Gun kind of style hair or whatever. I thought there were some very weird continuity errors with his hair specifically. Yeah. That I was very confused by. Did you not see those? I just I remember noticing that the in the interview montage specifically, it was a, that was the first one. Yeah, but it almost looked like a, like a joke. It was like he has like interview hair or something like oh, that. Oh, see, I think I started to notice it all throughout the rest of the movie, and I was like, "What is going on here?" I do I do think that man has some of the best hair in the biz. He's got just phenomenal oh, hair. Absolutely, of course, everybody says that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, fast forward to when he has this new sort of photographer girlfriend, Coral Coglin. He's like, he's telling Tom, she probably has a boyfriend, you know, you're fucked. Like, or a husband. A or husband. a husband. And yeah. then like they go back to the bar and Coglin like kisses her. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, and then she goes to Tom and she's like, don't kiss and tell on me. Like she's like mad at Tom for talking about them having sex or something. I have no idea what the fuck was happening. It's so weird. And then Coglin's like, I told you she was shit. I'll, I'll fuck her though. You know, whatever. And it's like, you can't talk about a girl behind her back. She's going to get mad at you or whatever. But it's like, yeah, there was never a moment where it, I'll show him. I'll fuck his best friend. Like what? <laughs> well, well that, but also there was never a moment where I thought Tom really ever talked about their relationship in like a super, yeah, that made no sense. Inappropriate or like, betrayal kind of way where he yeah. like you know and that comes, back, like later, that comes yeah. back later on at the end of the movie but i can wait on that or i can talk about it now if you want me to talk about it now talk about it now i don't care okay so at the end of the film Coglin has a, a rich wife that he met and they're on a boat and kelly lynch i think is her name who was i think in roadhouse yeah and they're on this boat drinking this incredible like four and a half or the nowadays cost four and a half grand the the yeah, 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 that's the right. The brandy, back then it was 500 bucks. And Coglin's like, oh, I lost all my money, I'm a fucking idiot. All of all the wife's money. And then Tom leaves, whatever. And then he takes uh, Coglin's wife home and the wife tries to like fuck Tom. Tom's like, kiss her a little bit and then leaves. And it's kind of bizarre. Like, why would Tom even like kiss this woman for so long? But apparently- I kind of wish they fucked. I just wanted them to fuck out of a pure, like, I want to see them fuck, yeah. Apparently- there was a deleted scene that was shot and included in a different trailer that showed that Coglin on that boat says that he tried to fuck Tom's Elizabeth Shue ex-girlfriend. Oh. And Tom was like, you don't have any fucking friends in the whole world. And that's this is why Coglin ends up killing himself. Oh. And that's why Tom was able to, like, he sort of considered fucking Coughlin's wife. That literally would have made everything make so much more sense. And it would have made the suicide make a lot more sense. When that suicide happened, I was like, what? Where the fuck's this coming from? I mean, I know he has, like, before that we see him and he's talking about how he's, like, cash poor. He has all the money in the bar that he opened up or whatever, but he's, it's not really. He doesn't understand the business because he's never read 12 business books like Tom has. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. They're in Jamaica. He meets Elizabeth Shue. They kind of like fall in love. But it reminded me of Endless Love because they just like, it's like 20 fucking minutes of just them kissing in various locations. Yeah. Kissing there, kissing here. And it's like in these date scenes, I think it's like the first, so they haven't fucked yet. So it's like walking around like kissing a bunch. And I'm like, go find a room. What are you guys doing? Well, they do eventually, don't they? Eventually, but it's yeah. like, how much kissing are you going to do? Is it that long of a time period? I feel like it's not that long. Dude, I swear to God, it was like multiple scenes of them just kissing, kissing in the water, kissing on the beach, kissing in the bar. I hate kissing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, turn it off. Yeah. 
I think there was a little tidbit of trivia about, I guess the water in Jamaica at the time was like hot to a degree that was like toxic or something. And Tom got sick or some shit like that from how hot the water was. I don't know. It was very <laughs> weird. I, I never heard something like that, but I, I, I don't know. Something weird. Like, yeah. It's, maybe the water is like a breeding ground for bacteria or something like that. And he's got like. Maybe. What did I send it to you? It's. um Yeah. It's, it just said Tom got sick from hot water. <laughs> That's such a funny, yeah, what a funny way of saying it. Yeah, Tom Cruise at one point fell sick from swimming in the extremely hot waters of Jamaica. It's just like, okay, that's what, all right, whatever, man. Yeah. Uh, Do you remember when we first moved to Austin and I interviewed to be a doorman at Cannon Abel's on West Campus? No, not even at all. Yeah, it was Cannon Abel's like a real like, you know, kind of frat boy bar. And the shop interview was like, well, it's not an interesting story, but I'm going to keep going with it anyway. I interviewed to be a doorman at this frat bar, basically like right outside of UT. And it was weird because like in the interview, the guy was like, yeah, like you basically you'll have to be checking for all the IDs and like turning people away when they are not old enough or if they have fakes. I knew right then I was like, I don't want this fucking job. Like I'm not doing the job at all. Like I, I, the last thing I want to do is like tell frat boys that can't get into a bar. They're going to make fun of me and they're going to say shitty things to me and I'm going to fucking have a terrible time hmm. right i only told that story because i wrote it down on my notes uh, <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just gonna skip over that one <laughs> uh, that's awesome um, yeah hey man i get you yeah. you know sometimes i had to turn away some young kids and i said you know i felt bad i thought hey i was just like you once it's different doing it in williamsburg is like you know fuck them hipster like bitch boys but like fucking shithead rich kid frat boys in austin like i don't want to fuck around with those dudes they're gonna fucking sue me no don't f- those guys are cool not fuck them no like they're just like they're tough and they're mean and they're like uh, say mean things to me but not tough not tougher than you you're one of the toughest guys i know thanks buddy really <laughs> Coglin as like this barman philosopher is essentially that's what Swayze does in Roadhouse right. a, l- a little bit earlier and I think like I like the Coglin character oh he's a great character I mean because what he does is fucking stupid like yeah I think I think part of it is just purely like an Australian giving out wisdom even if the wisdom is borderline stupid as hell and like really just wisdom that benefits his own he's beha- just charming is all it takes yeah but it's just that yeah it's just that yeah um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think he's a great character. I like that. I like Brian Brown. I think he's a fun, like fun person to watch on screen. But, um, yeah, what are we talking about? Where are we going? We are jumping around quite a bit, I think, which we're I having guess fun. We're doing we're laughs. Fun. We're, doing we're doing laughs. laughs. Yeah, we're doing laughs. We're having fun. I want to look up the people that they were going to cast as, uh, Coughlin. There is a lot of weird casting. What ifs? Either people like weren't interested in this movie because they knew it was a stinker, which is probably the case. Yeah. Or they were too busy, but there's a lot of what ifs. For the Elizabeth Shue character, Jennifer Grey, Demi Moore, Jodie Foster, Daryl Hannah, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh, actually, you know what's really funny? Can I say this? Speaking of Telluride, which we talked about at the beginning of, of the episode, I was in Telluride one time and met Elizabeth Shue at the Sheridan Bar there, and she was playing foosball, and I played foosball with her. And actually, at the time, I had just watched Leaving Las Vegas for the first time, and I was like, you were incredible in Leaving Las Vegas. And she said, oh, thanks, cool, you know, and then we played foosball and like we we're just kind of shooting the shit. It was great. One of the better um, kind of Telluride celebrity stories that I've had because I've like, had a lot. I've had a lot. I mean, because I've gone there so many times, you're just bound to run into people. But like, so real fast, let's go through the yeah. list of celebrities you've met at Telluride. Ben Affleck. Yes. Well, no, I didn't really meet him. You're in a photo with him. I'm in a funny photo that Will took. Will my, you know, my friend Tom. Will Will Stevens' friend. 
Tom, yeah, well, Tom Will. Will's my other best friend. One of my other best friends from Colorado. And, uh, you know, I think I have best friends. I have multiple best friends. I think it's okay to have multiple best friends. Yeah, no, but, and Will has a really funny picture that, like, has, it's, like, been, like, a profile shot, like, walking, and then I'm in the background, like, looking at him. But it's just a very funny picture. Yeah. And Will caught it completely candidly. Like, he was just trying to take a picture of Ben Affleck, and I just happened to be in the background. But... And you met Bill Murray? I met Bill Murray briefly. I asked him if I could buy him a drink, and he was like, whoa, slow down. My goal is I, I really want to buy somebody a drink. Yeah, you're unemployed, and you're like, <laughs> and they're movie stars, and you're like, can I buy... I know, but just in a cool sense of like, we're... Because ha- so, some of them, you know, I've seen some of these people Michael at Fassbender. the bar or whatever. Mac- Michael Fassbender. And, the- and Chew as Hell were playing pool, right? They were playing pool at the Sheridan Hotel. The whole fucking cast do a scene from the movie the whole, <laughs> yeah the whole cast of 12 years a slave was there and i was like oh, can i buy you a drink and they were like no we've already we already have one and then michael fassbender beat the shit out of me which he's wanting <laughs> wanting to do um ma'am wanton is that the right did i say that well, okay. is, is want to do is want to do wanton is like a disregard yeah i think you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Want. Wonton is a delicious wonton is Asian delicious food. Asian cuisine. Um, you like Chinese food? Yeah, wontons. <laughs> <laughs> I need 20, 30 wontons call it a night. Yeah, so I saw, you know, I've seen them. I've seen uh, my boy Ben Mendelsohn I saw. And I oh, really, yes. I saw, I kept seeing him around town. And the whole time I'd be like, hey, Ben, I'll buy you a drink or whatever. And he'd go, oh, yeah. And he'd be smoking a cigarette. And he'd like, give me this like kind of sly smile. Like, oh, you know, not right now. You know? Come off it. Come, yeah, a little bit. And uh, that's a little more British. But um, okay. I don't know. We, you and I both met George Clooney. That was wonderful. You met Mads Mikkelsen, my I've dream. I met Mads my Mikkelsen, dream boy. my dream boy, and he was really, really nice. I've met uh, Alexander Payne. I had a big, long conversation with Alexander Payne about uh, The Departed and Amour. We talked about Amour a little bit, the Hanukkah film, and... I don't know. You know, I just see a lot. Of, I mean, who? Oh, I rode the gondola with Steve McQueen, and that was kind of funny. Um, the living one, not the dead one. Yeah, living Steve McQueen. I mean, that's what's so cool about that festival is you're like bop around town and you run into people and you can say hello to them or sometimes obviously as a little nervous or whatever. But I mean, this time around, I, I guess I don't I mean, I saw Casey Affleck and said hello to Casey Affleck. You did? Did I not tell you that? No. He was there hanging out with Chloe Zhao the whole weekend for some reason. I don't have no idea. Oh, you, yeah, you did tell me that. Yeah, Chloe Zhao. And I told him, like, you and I play poker in the same underground poker spot. And he was like, oh, yeah, I never play there, actually, but I've gone a few times. And we just talked about how kind of goofy the place is a little bit. Why was he with Chloe Zhao? Doesn't he know I don't like her? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if we can keep any of that. I feel like it's weird to talk about them and talk about, like, oh, we go to an underground poker place. Anyway, I don't know. Hey, it's, t- it's badass. <laughs> okay, so there's some actors that were considered for the role of Brian Flanagan. A.K.A. Tom, that's your role, if you, if you don't remember. Which is just funny, like, I think that's just, like, bad writing. Like, oh, we have an Irish guy. What's his name? Uh, Brian Flanagan. Flanagan. <laughs> <laughs> um, Keanu Reeves, noted Italian Keanu Reeves. John Travolta, Rob Lowe, Tom Hanks, Steve Gutenberg, Bill Murray, Jeff Bridges. Huh. I mean, Tom's perfect. He is perfect. The movie's not very good, but he is kind of perfect. As well as Jim Carrey and Charlie Sheen. No, maybe Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen would be kind of fun. Charlie Sheen, I could, I could see him doing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, they also looked for Robin Williams. Robin Williams was someone that they wanted for the movie. Yes, and then for Coughlin, Jack Nicholson, which wouldn't be bad. Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, that would be weird. Dustin Hoffman would play him autistically or something like that. <laughs> 
Yes, I don't know why. Well, they did make Rain Man after this, but <laughs> this is the very next film. <laughs> he just was dying to do an autistic character. <laughs> He's in so many interviews. He's like, can I play this character autistically? Yeah, yeah. Every, every director, he's asking, like, I think this guy's on the spectrum. When, like, people didn't even actually know what the spectrum was at that point. Yeah. In <laughs> and then Michael Caine, Dudley Moore, and um, Crocodile Dundee guy. Interesting. The Crocodile, yeah, that makes sense. But, I mean, it's funny because, so, Roger Donaldson, who's the director of this, who made some good stuff, I think, which I've never seen this, but he made that movie No Way Out with Kevin Costner and Gene Hackman. It's like a political thriller of some sort. He did that movie um, 13 Days, I think, that's about, like, the Cuban Missile Crisis that also has Kevin Costner... And I don't know, a few other people. He made a Species, he made Dante's Peak, he made a bunch of shit. Kind of a good director. I think this is weirdly like one of the worst movies he potentially ever, ever made. Watching this, I'm like, oh, this guy's not a good, this, there's no way this guy keeps doing this for a living. Well, no, he did. He made a lot right, of stuff. He, I mean, he's, he made, yeah, he's been working ever since. I mean, fuck me. But, but I mean, well, because this movie was massively successful. No matter how bad it was, it was massively fucking successful. But anyway, what I was going to say is he is, I think, Australian. He was born in... Australia. Ballarat, Australia. I don't know. I just remember thinking, oh, okay, funny that they, like, he wanted an Australian guy probably for the, like, wise old mentor or right. something, you know, even though the mentor is kind of a piece of shit. Which I feel like it, traditionally it would be, like, inverted. Like, you have, like, a, you know, the wise ones are always, like, British, and the kind of crazy young ones are always Australian. That's true. Yeah, absolutely right. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, no, that's, yeah, I get what you're saying. But what's funny, too, is that there is a funny line in the movie where he, like, is talking shit to Tom Cruise, and he calls him, like, an immigrant. And I'm like, what, dude, you're not from here. Well, you're an immigrant. What is going? What are you talking about? Like he calls him an immigrant, like derogatorily. Is that when they're in Jamaica? When they're in Jamaica, and he's like, you know, giving him shit. Like they're just like trading barbs back and forth. You yeah. know what I mean? And they're just like, that was nice. I like like you know, because the last time we see each other in New York, like fucking Tom brawling, punches, yeah, punches him in the mouth. Yeah. And then like two years later, we see each other again. I love when like two old guy friends can like fight and then not see each other for two years and they have a great little beautiful like you old so and so. Well, but it's not. It's still really the claws are out but it's but no it, he cl- smiles the first time he sees him he's like oh you son of a bitch yeah but it's, it is that but i think it, it's also a little bit it's a little, a little bit barbie but like you still know it's like these are your best friends but it's like you have a little bit of debt to pay to me you son of a bitch i think you're right but i think that the movie actually that's what i wish the movie had more of but it doesn't really do that very well oh you know what's funny is like he takes forever for tom to get laid like he doesn't get laid once while he's working on tgi fridays well remember he that's a great part oh what do we got talk about that the fucking addicted to love scene which is so hilarious it's when he's at tgi fridays and he's like addicted to love and he's like dancing like the goofiest motherfucker in the world and he talks about that girl who's who's also not that hot let's just be honest friday is hot you know i guess that's true yeah i remember thinking like are there gonna be hot girls at this bar like who want to fuck tom and i was Uh, like you're like are there gonna be hot girls in this movie They want to fuck Tom. Uh, well, I knew that uh, Elizabeth Shue was there, and she is quite beautiful. Yeah. Really love her. She's beautiful. She's not, like, hot. She's beautiful. She's pretty fucking hot, dude. I really like her. I really like Elizabeth Okay, Hsu. you play fool's ball with her? Yeah. Okay, what you were talking about with the, he takes a long time for him to fuck girls. There is that part where, you know, he says to Coglin, oh, this girl's over here making fuck me eyes at me, or whatever. And then, and then Coglin goes, yeah, just give it a minute. Her old man's coming up right behind. And then it cuts and the guy comes and like kisses her and hugs her. Because they keep looking back and forth and she's like, 
You know, they're like mouthing, kind of addicted to love yeah. to each other. But he is so goofy in that scene. I mean, it's so funny to watch him. Sometimes when he's like, when he's trying to be cool, he is not cool. Like he sometimes, he's he trying to be cool as, a, as an actor and Absolutely. it comes off as really corny. But like there's times where he's naturally, I wonder like, when, when is he most, when is he his coolest? It's collateral. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, actually. Which is when is he his coolest? It's when he's his most psychopathic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, like you know, the, when he's in Top Gun, when he's like, I got the need for speed. It's like that's dorky as shit, dude. Yeah, but he looks fucking cool, right? Like he's, I mean, yeah. I get what you mean. That's tough. I do think in this there are moments where I'm like, enjoy. It's a cheesy kind of cool, but I do think he's cool when he's like, I don't know, when he's talking about orgasms with Gina Gershon. I was like, kind of like this. It's kind of fun. And he's like, how many do you want? And she's like, multiple. And he's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I thought that was pretty good. I was like, that girl's trouble, dude. Don't fucking stay away from her. Well, Gina Gershon has. I mean, I fucking love her. I mean, you know, she's in um, she's in Bound, the Wachowskis. Oh yeah. Movie with our boy in Rescue Business, uh, Joey Pants. Yeah. And. You know, she's in Showgirls, big role in Showgirls. She's terrific. She's in a lot of stuff. I really like Gina Gershon, which is funny, though. Funny that she's in Showgirls because that's another one of those movies that's like people consider, even though I think Showgirls is genuinely quite great, but that's another one of those movies that people consider as like so bad it's good kind of thing. Yeah. You and I think you and I tried to watch Showgirls back when we lived together. Like we didn't, I, I probably fell asleep, I think. No, I definitely liked it. I love Showgirls. That's like a. No, I, I was very into it. Yeah. And I think I just like, I remember the first 20 minutes and then I. I don't remember the rest of the movie. Maybe you did fall asleep. You were falling asleep a lot back then. We had a really nice couch. We had a couch. Tom, listen to this couch. This yeah. is like a, like a sofa, right? Beautiful couch. You know, the two side pieces, the two end seats were recliners. Yes. Basically, it was, it was two recliners with a little shared middle. Two lazy boys with a shared middle, yeah. If you wanted to sleep sideways on it, you could. Yes. And you could put chips in the middle. <laughs> Well, well, we would literally just like sit down with our respective meals. Yeah, I sat on the left. Seems sat on the right. Yeah, I always sat on the right. That was we always had like spots. Married, married couple sat us. What like. was really funny is that when like people came over, it was like, no, no, we still get our seats. You, you have to sit in the middle. Like if people came over and watched a movie with us, it would be like, did that ever happen? Yes, dude. Like Jordan would come over, Irby visited for oh, a bit, right, yeah. you know. And yeah. it was literally like, no, 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 dude, your spots, no, move, move over. Your spot's in the middle. That's my spot. Steven, uh, Grayson's in my seat. <laughs> yeah, literally, it was like that. It was very funny. But uh, yeah, we would just sit there and like put our food in the middle and then sit there and eat and drink beer and eat pretzels. There was a time in my life where like, I think it was a combination of like, I was working every day at like 5 a.m. Early in the morning. Yeah, we had the taco. And I was drinking a lot. Yeah. I fucking fell asleep during every movie for a year. Yeah, you it did. It was nuts. Yeah. The only movie I can get through was like, you know, The Brown Bunny. It's all I <laughs> Yeah. I watched a lot. I watched a lot of stuff there. I mean, I fell asleep too, but that was a good spot. Yeah. What a good place, dude. I grew to love you, and I grew to hate you, and I grew to love you again in that, ho- in that oh, apartment. We did, we did make up. That's a good point. We did. Our, we had, like, a fight. And, yeah, we had a little, yeah. bit of a, a little bit of a tiff. Got over yeah. and done I with. Did, I did make a note about the weird basketball scene. The basketball scene is so fucking stupid. It was like, this should be the end of basketball scene. They should never do another basketball scene ever. Why do these guys even play basketball? What are they doing? I haven't played darts, for fuck's sake. Yeah, or something in a bar. bar. Like, they should always be, always just be in bars, which I think would, like, make a point on some level, right? There'd be something kind of interesting there if they were, like, just always in bars, but... Yeah. And it's, like, Tom's, 
you know, the brief period of time he's going to college, he's got like this ridiculous caricature professors. Oh, the asshole professor. Yeah, yep, yep. So many of them. They're just fucking stupid. But I like that scene where he like sticks it to him. Write your own obituary. Well, the one professor's like, write your own obituary. And then Tom's like writing his obituary. He's like, I was, he was so rich. He was kept by being rich. A senator who had an 18 year old wife or whatever, which I thought was fucking funny. Yeah, I was like, this guy sucks. Yeah, you know what? What's funny about that, what you're saying? There is a level to this where obviously I love Tom Cruise. We love Tom Cruise. We made a fucking podcast about him. But there is a level where like this is kind of one of his weirdly shittiest character. Like in a way that like I don't actually really like if I take a step back and look at it and not be like, I love Tom, therefore I like this character. I am like, I don't like this guy, oh, sort of. No, yeah. this guy sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think this guy, like, that's one thing I do like about this movie is like, this guy is like, is like this sort of mid-twenties, like directionless dude. That part I get. After he kisses Coglin's wife, he says, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I was like, no, oh, brother, I've been there. Like, hell yeah. You're just like, you've got no idea what the fuck you're going to do with yourself. Oh, right, 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 right. And that, I appreciate that aspect of it. Yeah. That, that seems like genuine and like the whole thing is sort of about like this sort of mid-twenties, you know, directionless dude who basically falls into a thing that he's good at. You know, a lot of bartenders like I'm sure Hollywood, LA and New York are littered with people who had great aspirations and yes. instead just became bartender. Yeah, yeah. Or even just also in the positive view of that, a lot of people who maybe did make it big at some point were also bartenders at, you know, at a certain point. You know, just to put a slightly yeah. more positive spin on it, I suppose. Of course, of course. But like, you know... Uh, I'm not saying that to make me feel better. I'm just saying just in general. Because yeah. I'm currently not a bartender, so, you know, it's okay. I have a note here, workers and hustlers. Uh, there was a scene where like... Oh, that's a great line. I mean, honestly, yeah. you know, as dumb as this movie is, there are some like, even if maybe you take a step back and like think about the lines and you're like, this is dumb or something, especially some of like Coglin's laws that he keeps espousing. I think there are some great lines and that part that you're talking about is kind of one of them when he says something like there are two types of people in this world like workers and hustlers and you're a worker and the hustlers never have to work and the workers like never know how to hustle or something like that like it's it's something along those lines um Oh, well, I was going to say that the last barman poet quote is right here, too, but... Oh, fuck, you want to just go ahead and read it? Okay, all right, so he goes, I am the last barman poet. I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make. Americans getting stinky on something I stir or shake. The sex on the beach. The schnapps made from peach. The velvet hammer. The Alabama slammer. I make things with juice and froth, the pink squirrel, the three-toed sloth. I make drinks so sweet and snazzy, the iced tea, the kamikaze. The orgasm, the death spasm, the singamore sling, the ding-a-ling. And then it's, that part's funny because in the scene, a girl goes, ding-a-ling, like out, from, out in the audience. And then he goes, America, you've just been devoted to every flavor I got. But if you want to get loaded, why don't you just order a shot? And then he goes, bar is open. It's a good little... Yeah, and it's like... It's really interesting because that when it comes back at the end, the poems thing, it's like that's his whole bit, I guess. He's like a bartender who like does poems. And it's just I, I think the poems is that what happens at the end? I don't honestly don't. What the fuck happens at the end of this movie? He's got his cocktails and dreams bar, and everyone goes a poem, a poem. Tell us a poem, and he's like. Oh, here's a poem. He like reads another poem, and it's like, what? That's so fucking stupid. Can you imagine being at a bar and everyone's like, where they say poems? Yeah, I'd fucking leave. Yeah, I know. That'd be so dumb. So, so, so dumb. I don't really love poetry, if I'm being completely honest with you. Well, I think it's the worst kind of writing. I wish I liked poetry, but I just don't. I, I can't remember. I think it was Faulkner. He said... No, I like poetry. I like poetry, dude. Don't... I actually really like poetry. 
Okay. If any, if any girls are listening, love poetry. Uh, what's your favorite poet? Pablo Neruda. My favorite poet is Shel Silverstein. <laughs> <laughs> William Faulkner said, he's like, all writers want to be poets. And they find out that's too hard, so they try to become short story writers. And they find out that's too hard, and then they settle for being novelists. And I've always taken that and gone one more, like, and then they can't do a novel, so they become screenwriters. Sure, sure, sure. Is that what Faulkner, or you're taking that one step further? Yeah. Which is funny, because Faulkner, I think, did end up going to Hollywood and being a screenwriter. He did. He did write some screenplays. Speaking of novels, funny little tidbit, apparently in the novel of um, American Psycho, Patrick Bateman's character runs in a Tom Cruise elevator and says he'd loved him in the film The Bartender. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which is so funny, like, Patrick Bateman getting the title wrong for cocktail. Yeah, yeah. Also funny because as we all probably know, Tom, I'm sure you know, Christian Bale based his performance of Patrick Bateman off of Tom Cruise. Like an interview, he saw an interview with Tom Cruise where he said like there was nothing behind his eyes, which it's funny. I obviously love American Psycho and I do love Christian Bale and I've always thought that thing from him was like funny and like, oh, what a cool thing. But it's like, I have to say, I have mixed emotions about that quote because I do love Tom and I do think I love Tom and I think he's probably a I'm insane. Well, yes, we both know that. I mean, he, he is a madman, but in a way that I love, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm just naive. Part of me thinks like he's not as whatever this like lifeless person as everyone kind of wants to make him out to be. I like think he's, maybe, I think honestly, I think he's probably a bigger dork than we think he is. But also, dude, I don't know. You know, there's those stories about him. Like, I think he's lived a life. I think he's had human experiences and he had a lot of stuff. I think you can't give performances like that, honestly, if you have not. I don't think it's possible. I don't think you can be as great of an actor as he is without. I don't think he's, I don't know. I mean, yes, maybe there's a bit of a dork aspect to him, but like, you know, he's, you're, we're talking about where he gets kicked out of the fucking seminary for drinking booze and what and chasing girls. Right. But think about this. Think about this. Abusive father. I know that a lot of this podcast is, and we haven't really fully gotten into this a little bit, but a lot of this podcast is somewhat towing the line of like our love for Tom and potentially either not getting into or delving right into maybe some of the darker aspects of his personal life or like who he is or whatever in his relationship to the religion that he is involved in, which almost I'm afraid to name in case we get, you know, they come after us, they try to fucking kill us. But it's around this time that, that that starts to bubble up. We should get into that, actually, in this one, because we haven't really talked about his personal life that much the past, like, couple episodes. Yeah. But you're saying something important here. Yeah, I am. Well, so part of me feels like I think his life gave him a drive. I mean, and maybe that kind of drive is what, like, what people say. Like, you know, you kind of, to be successful, you kind of got to be a little bit of a sociopath or something. Like, you have to have a... You know, people say like, oh, if you want to be the president, you're kind of a nutcase. You're kind of a psychopath. Yeah. To have that desire makes you kind of crazy. I guess what I'm trying to put a positive spin on this and say that I think maybe he wanted to be better than his dad. He wanted to like help his mom, help his family. His mom, who was like the single mother who took care of their whole family and worked all these jobs and suffered for them to be successes. And, you know, there's maybe some level where you can see, like, for a guy like him, you know, it's hard to be like, oh, he really struggled because he basically spent like one year trying to be an actor and then just like kind of hit it and like made it. But he did have a, you know, uh, it was like a not easy breezy childhood. And I think for a guy like him, I can see the draw of the promises of what Scientology offered. And I can see that all of these things giving him a real powerful drive to become a great and like one of the greats in a non-psychopathic way is what I'm saying. I'm trying to just say like, I get what you're saying. And yes, that's all kind of there. But I also, I don't know, I guess I'm trying to be slightly kinder to my boy, Tom. Yeah. And you know, I know you are also 
I mean, we love him. We made yeah. the fucking podcast about it. I mean, clearly it's like he got something out of Scientology. Like, otherwise he wouldn't be pushing it so hard. For sure. He, like, genuinely fucking believes in whatever the hell they're doing in that place. Yeah. I'll find out. Stay tuned, audience. Episode 67. Stephen joins Scientology. <laughs> we never hear him again. <laughs> <laughs> it's the end of the pod. That should be, be a good way to the pod. Oh, my God. We joined Scientology. Like, tune in next week and we just never post again. Never post again? Yeah, that'd be funny. Okay, so so Tom is in Jamaica. Brian Flanagan is in Jamaica. And yeah, he, which which what's the deal there? He just shows up like not know like he didn't know that Tom was supposed to be there, right? He was just there on his own personal honeymoon and just happened to see Tom at the bar. I don't fucking know. Somehow Coughlin finds Tom and he's like, you know, you don't have it and you can't bag a rich one like I did. You're not a closer, whatever. And so they spot a rich lady across the bar. And Tom goes over there and he max on her. And he does the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen with the matchbook. Dude, yes. That part was sick. And it's so offhand, like nonchalant. Like they don't even really call attention to it that much. She's got a cigarette. She's trying to find her lighter. Yeah. And then Tom like fucking takes a matchbook and like pulls a match out, lights it, and then tosses the matchbook at her. Yeah. And it stays so lit. Sick. And then she lights it. So and she sick. lights the thing with it. At that point, she's got to fuck him. Gotta fuck him. Oh, yeah. Dude, you know um, that actress? She's Amy's mom in Gone Girl. Oh. Isn't that funny? Wow. Yeah. Lisa Baines. It's basically Tom Bags is rich lady, but Elizabeth Shue sees him leaving with the rich lady. And they've right. had their old love. They're, they're in love. Talking about, you know, she's talking about having kids with him, like yada, yada, yada. And then she's devastated. She leaves. But like this Bonnie lady is like still pretty hot. And Tom's conflicted about Elizabeth Shue, but then... Rich lady shows up and starts like kissing him on the, on the stomach and like it's being a fucking total milf. Yeah. She says like, I can't get you out of my head. We had such a, you know, we fucked so good. It's like. Yeah. Fuck yeah. so good. Tom Cruise had them write that, write that line in. <laughs> How about a character that I fuck really good? <laughs> so Tom basically moves back to New York to be with Bonnie. And I was thinking watching this, I was like, you know, Tom, your life is pretty dope, but he's like not happy with it. But he's got a pretty sick existence. He does. But at the same time, I mean, I think it's it's a real good classic. Like he just has he's not a person and she just like picks out his outfits and she treats him like her little personal sick dope as shit. No, I mean, yes, I get what you're saying. But but she's like, oh, bring me a carriage. I'm like, yeah, I'll bring you a carriage juice. Yeah. I live in a fucking penthouse now. Of course I'd bring you a carrot juice for that. Right, right. No, I agree. She does kind of put him in stupid clothes. Well, well, and then, you know, she treats him like a little, you know, she's like, carry my jacket, bitch boy. And like... Uh, yeah, it does get a bit much. I wrote that note earlier, and then I started seeing the jacket scene, and I was like, this is... Although that coat is mink. It'd be very soft. I would be happy to carry I a mink coat. <laughs> I honestly do really like the scene where he beats up the artist guy. Like, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. I love a good, like, pretentious bullshit artist person who makes, like, dumb postmodern garbage, you know, like yeah. art. And someone, like, really just lays into him. I do love stuff like that. I really do. There's some good, like, Tom yelling in this movie. Yes, there's some great stuff. She kicks him or something, and he goes, ah! God, like down on down on the ground, and he has yeah. a good yeah. He's got a good little yell there when she's mad at him, like after the after he beats up the artist guy, right? I can't remember the like actual scene. What happens there? Well, so earlier he was like he wants her to like give him a marketing job with her company. She keeps like you know pushing that off because he thinks he's a marketing whiz. Right, right, right. And he's actually just a kept man. And then like she slaps him in the face. That's what it is. And that's when he, yeah, he gives a yeah. really good yell there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And also, okay, so when Coughlin kills himself, Tom is crying pretty hard. I was wondering, has Tom cried yet? That's a good... I don't think he actually does tears in Top Gun when Goose dies. No, no, no. He's, he's like holding it all in. I don't think there's any tears 
in all the right moves, there might be some tears. All the right moves, maybe. I'm trying to remember, but yeah, that's a good point. He's crying. He's, he's doing a good cry here. He's got big old drops in each eye. I mean, I think, dude, and the reason why this made me think of Jerry Maguire a bit more is I think this is one of the roles, oddly enough, even though he's kind of over the top and the movie's over the top and stupid or whatever, this is one of the roles that, le- and it's also part of like the early 90s stuff where he is playing more of a human being. And this is like in the period where he really is playing like human beings like yeah. and, and he hasn't gotten into like you know obviously you know obviously at a certain point he becomes you know what we've talked about already like the post 2005 where he's just like pure like tom cruise as god but he's very human in this in a way that i i really was like responding to in a way that i didn't think i was going to respond to because the movie's so silly yeah very silly and very melodramatic so Tom, apparently he tracks Elizabeth's shoe and he finds out he's knocked her up. Oh my God, dude. When she says I'm pregnant, I cackled. I laughed out loud. Like just the movie goes in so many bizarre directions. Like I really was like, oh, cocktail, they're going to bartend. And I was like, they're going to be in New York the whole time. Or like, honestly, I was like, oh shit, does this whole movie take place in TGI Fridays? And I thought like, that's what the movie was going to be about. Like them bartending a thing. And then I was like, oh, okay, now they're going to go to like a big time bar, like a, you know, big fancy bar. And I was like, all right, so that's what the movie's going to be about. And then it's like, and then Jamaica. All of a sudden, then they're in Jamaica. And I was like, okay, I guess we're going to be in Jamaica. And then he's going to meet this girl. And like, that's what this movie's going to be about. I mean, and I guess that's technically is what it's about. But it's like, and then it's like, you know, Coughlin's got the fucking rich wife. And then there's this other thing with his rich lady. And then they're back in New York. And then, so when the pregnancy line happened, I was like, good Lord, another thing in this, like another wrinkle in this narrative and I just started laughing my ass off because I just thought it was such a funny like what you're saying like so melodramatically hilarious like oh my god of course they're gonna drop this new yeah. fucking plot twist on us you know? so okay so Elizabeth Shue is like she wants an explanation for what happened in Jamaica yeah and Tom says it's not as bad as you think and then he lays down the worst explanation I've ever heard basically he says like you don't understand I was dared like I was dared to try and bag this witch lady. And when a man is dared, he must do it. Which is played for a joke in Back to the Future, how he can't turn down when someone calls him a chicken and he like can't step down from that. Like it's kind of got that level of hilariously stupid, you know, mental logic to it. Yeah, that's one thing. But this character is trying to explain that to somebody. Like, right, exactly. You don't understand. He called me a chicken. Like I was. <laughs> yes, yes. It's yeah, yeah. It's that much funnier to he- hear someone try to legitimately use it as an excuse. Is is hilarious. Yeah, it's one thing for your character to have bad logic, but like to have them try and defend the bad logic as if it makes sense to them. It's like this is ridiculous. Wait, okay. I know we're jumping around like crazy, but um, the line that we were looking for is, you see, there are two kinds of people in this world, the workers and the hustlers. The hustlers never work and the workers never hustle, which is basically what I think I said earlier, but it, this is just a little bit more streamlined. Yeah, but I said earlier, I was like, no way is a line that bad. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> it's yeah. bad. It's bad and good. Like, there's a weird level to it where I'm like, dang, that's a good line, but it's stupid as hell. But there's like a, there's a lyricism, I think, to the lines that- Hustlers fucking work? What is he talking about? Like, it's so stupid. Well, of course, of course, I know. But I think the idea is that it's like grinders. It's like you can sit there and grind and you grind your way. Then the biting line, like the real cutting line that he says after this line is he says like, look at this bar. Look how clean it is. You're proud of your job, aren't you? And Tom Cruise, like they cut to like a nice little close up there, which like really hits Tom Cruise. is like, fuck you, dude. How dare you say I'm proud of this? Because then if he's proud of it, that means he's like he's resigned. He's resigned to this lifestyle or whatever. Right. Which I thought that was kind of a, a good little moment, honestly. 
Another quick little line that I wanted to say that I think you and I would really like that I enjoyed, even though we're both like beer drinkers generally, although I'm trying to not drink as much beer lately. But um, No, I'm trying to not drink as much beer. No. Well, I'm definitely trying. But there's that part where... Uh, it's after the bar closed, I think, and then Coughlin tries to give him a shot, and Tom's like, I'll stick with a brew. And he's like... Beers for breakfast. Beers for breakfast around here. Drink or be gone. And then he downs the shot. And I just remember being like, that's sick. I like that line. That's like a good. I was also like, oh, you're in a dangerous, terrible path. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This this is not going to end well for you. And this is not what your life should be. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, I would love another beer, but I'm going to, I'm going to wait. Well, I've only had this one cocktail, but I don't really, it's too complicated to make another one. But, um. That's what's done with the cocktails. It's like ridiculous cocktails. Nobody fucking really drinks like that. It's just so, so goofy. The cocktails are so goofy. Oh, speaking of also another line that I did really like is when he is first flirting with Bonnie, the older woman that he shacks up with and like becomes a little arm candy when he's first flirting with her. And you like, you're like, oh, he's maybe kind of doing a good job. And she's like, goes, excuse me, do I have fuck me written on my forehead? And I was like, that's, I don't know. It was just good little, that was a good little moment where she. How does he come back for that? What does he say? As he walks away, he flips her the light, and then I think, honestly, he flips her the match, and that was, like, oh, kind of something. Well, and he, he has a good retort to that, but I can't really remember. He says, like, oh, he says something like, I don't know, I don't have my contacts on, so I can't read. Oh, so he, right. like, I think he doesn't, like, miss a beat, which I think helps in, like, sealing the deal, because he doesn't, like, get deterred from that line from her. He, he like, keeps it going, and he keeps the witticisms, you know, coming, and it's, like, she kind of borderline respects it, and then, he you know, he makes that great drink, and it's good, and he gets to the light and everything, and she's, like, she's kind of impressed. She can't, you know, she can't deny it. Okay, all right. So I guess now let's go. Let's just talk about the end. So she says she's pregnant. They have the little tiff. Oh, so it turns out that actually Elizabeth Shue is rich and her dad owns a penthouse in Park Avenue. That was a hilarious thing, too. It's like, oh, of course, now they have to let her be rich so that he can essentially have the happy ending of like getting the girl that he loves and marrying into money, which is so pathetic. Like, what a pathetically goofy, like just the worst plot trajectory, I think, in my mind. Like, it's such a cop out. It's just a cop out. When he's in Elizabeth Shue's apartment and she's telling him she's pregnant, I was like, this apartment is dope as fuck and she waits tables. I mean, movies always do that. I mean, up until when I thought that she was rich, I was like, I had the same thought. And then I went, well, movies are always having people who can't afford really nice apartments live in really nice apartments, but they like dress it up. Like it's like, oh, they found a cool loft and it's like probably really cheap. Like they make it seem like that, but that shit's fucking hard to find, you know? But, uh, but yeah. And then of course it's kind of explained because she actually does come from money. Obviously it's a more noble choice to like stick with her if she's not rich, but it's like a no brainer. Say, buddy, she's rich. You got a kid? Well, of course, but it makes it so much. It just, there's no like concession he has to make. You know what I mean? There's no. Yeah. He's having it all. He's yeah. He, he has his cake and eats it too. You know, um, the one conflict is that the father fucking hates him. Yes. Yes. They really duke it out. It's quite funny at the end. But it's super melodramatic and it's like yeah, stupid. Yeah. It's like, oh, dude, one of the things that's so funny is like she's pregnant, right? And yeah. Tom leaves her apartment. What does she do? She's belly flops on her bed. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So funny. So funny. And then wait, what's going on? Who's fighting with her? And he goes, she's pregnant. Get off. Is it the dad? Is that what he's saying? And they're like fighting and stuff or what's going on? I don't know. The doorman's like throwing punches and shit. Yeah, it's so crazy. Oh, he goes, she's pregnant. Get off her. Get off. You know, it's whatever. There's a whole, it's so ludicrous. Yeah. But you know, that scene would have played out better in a more interesting way. If like, I think that there could have been a good scene there where the dad offers him $10,000 to like stay away from his daughter. And then she comes into the house, hears them talking, but like hides around the corner and overhears Tom 
turn down the money and like, no, your daughter's worth more than that. And then like, that's the scene. And then he walks out and leaves and he's like, no. I, right. But I think they, they, they needed some kind of like climactic sort of semi like. Well, I know, but that scene would have, that, that would have played that scene. I mean, like that's a classic. I'm not saying they did, I'm not saying it's the right choice. I'm saying. No, it, I know. It, yeah. I know. Yeah. But also like Tom gets to have his bar, Flanagan's Cocktails and Dream, stupidest barium in the world yeah before the babies are born like within a month yeah he gets it in, in no time at all i guess because they just have the fucking money to do it i don't know yeah, like, yeah and everyone like and also this bar up long enough everyone knows about the poems everyone's right. like where's a poem where's a poem it's so goofy yeah lo and behold this movie won a couple of razzies who would have fucking thought yeah it's just bizarre i'm like why did he choose the script He's on top of the world. Because it's a couple years, because it's like 86 is Top Gun and Color of Money, and yeah, this is 88, and then he makes this. Rayman comes out in 88, too, like just just a little bit after this. Rayman makes perfect sense. The movie's, you know, who wouldn't do that script? 100%. It's like prestige, good script, good actors, and you know, he gets to work with Dustin Hoffman, which he, you know, it's the same thing as like what we were talking about, where he's collecting skills and whatever. He's also collecting like directors to work with, actors to work with, like, you know, really building Yeah, I guess we can't talk about Rayman now, but like that's that's interesting, uh, a more interesting choice than this one, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I just can't, for the life of me, understand like why Tom did this. I think that Kelly Lynch woman from from Roadhouse and who plays you know Coglin's um, rich hot wife. Mm-hmm. I think she had some interviews somewhere that I saw where she talks about how like the book, which Haywood Gould, by the way, is the guy who wrote the book and he wrote the screenplay for the movie just to list that credit. And maybe the book had more of the critique in there. And I think maybe apparently there was like a ton of different drafts of this script, like tons and tons of different. Like 40. Yeah. yeah. And there was stuff more with her backstory, apparently, she said, and shit got cut and yada, yada, yada. So I wonder if maybe there was a better. I mean, I think that there seems like there was a better version of the movie potentially and it just got sort of diluted and dumbed down and weirdly it was I think maybe in certain drafts of the script it wasn't so much about that flair style of bartending it was just kind of like normal bartending and but he was like a good bartender but he that wouldn't have changed the movie if they were not tossing balls, not tossing balls, it wouldn't have fixed these problems. Well, no, probably, you know, makes the movie better on some, even how goofy it is, but it just makes it more fun to watch, to watch them do something showy and fun. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, in my mind, I, I mean, like what we were talking about, like it like has a similarities, risky business. I wonder if he, yeah, maybe thought of it in a slightly similar vein as that, like having these rich ideas about capitalism in the eighties and, and this sort of like the entrepreneurial rise of the entrepreneur, you know, in, in that time period and him trying to make it big and just desperately looking for for any kind of thing. Like, I did kind of think that scene was interesting when he's talking about the little plastic things on shoelaces and he's talking about whatever, all these little things. This is one year after Wall Street comes out. Right, which is obviously so much better at talking about all this stuff, but- Tom should be in Wall Street. Maybe, I mean, that. yeah, that would have been, well, he does get to work with Oliver Stone just a few years later, but shut up. You're going to love that movie and you're going to eat your words and you're going to become a big time Stonehead. But uh, I don't know, I, and you, you get what I'm saying, right? I'm sure he saw those things there and then the movie. I think they did weird reshoots. I'm telling you, dude, if you want, I mean, I know you're not going to watch it again, especially now that we've already recorded the podcast, so there's no need for you to watch it again. But they, he has several different haircuts throughout the movie. And I think they did reshoots on this and, and, uh, and it's bizarre. But none of it, like the director, is a competent director, but he's not. No, no, he is. He made other really good movies. He's a, he is a competent director. I know, but like, like it's he's not. I guess Tony Scott wasn't really a hallmark director either at the time. But like, he's coming up from Martin Scorsese. Oh, you're saying? You I know. see what you're saying. You're saying no, no, none of the pieces make any sense for him to be like. This is the one. Yeah, but you know, maybe maybe that's the lesson learned. 
Probably. And I think he's like, well, okay, from here on out, I have to be a lot more careful. Like, this is a shitty movie I just did. Won a couple of Razzies. Auteurs and good scripts from here on out. Right. And he does slightly, you know, like, write it off a few years later, you know. So maybe there is a little bit of that. Um, maybe just to end this out, I mean, I guess we talked about the movie enough. I mean, we can do yeah, some final did. thoughts, I suppose, on the movie. But I was going to say... I did just maybe want to talk a little bit about his personal life stuff, which because I feel like we haven't gotten into it a little bit, especially because a lot of the movies were coming out around the same time. But at this time, he had gotten married to Mimi Rogers, the actress. And I guess I read just to give a little bit personal life because we haven't really been delving into the personal life as much. But I think she was his connection to Scientology. She was a Scientologist and she 100%. she introduced him to Scientology, which I think is kind of interesting. They started getting together on Top Gun. They got set up by mutual friends or something. She introduces him to Scientology. I think pretty quickly they get married. And it was a funny little tidbit where I guess they were referring like to their marriage as the project, which kind of goofy sounding. And it was just like their way of keeping it kind of under wraps. But I guess they got married in a very small ceremony. And our boy Emilio, which really was his best friend, I think, at around this time. Emilio was the best man at the wedding. Yeah, I guess it's 86, 87-ish, and then they, yeah, they finally divorce in 1990, I think, but they start the divorce process. Well, there's trivia that says, like, that they were fighting offset, like, constantly during the shoot making this. Exactly, exactly. That's why I think I'm bringing it up for this movie is because, yeah, they were fighting during that, because it seems like there was no really other information about it for the previous episodes, but here it seems like people know that they're starting to break up, they're starting to fight. She has some good tidbits because she's older than him, I guess, by six years, and I she has some talks where she kind of starts to say she started to grow tired of constantly being referred to as like Tom Cruise's wife, even though she was like her own sort of successful actress. And I think she says some line in here where she says like, it wasn't even the Tom Cruise wife thing that got me, though I think that got her a bit, but it was more like it was the age thing that every single year they seemed to add another year to her, like made her one year older than she really was or something like that. Like, and you know, she just started to feel like she wasn't her own person, like under the shadow of the giant looming, you know, figure. Right. She was jealous of Tom's success. Yeah, a little bit. Anyway, but it's very, uh, I don't know. I just felt like we needed to get some of that personal stuff in there. And that it's funny. I don't think people think about his relationships that much, like anything before Nicole Kidman. No. It's like the two things are Nicole Kidman and then Katie Holmes. Those are the ones that people really associate with him. But he was married before. He was married to Mimi Rogers. Obviously, they get divorced. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, he dated Cher briefly. When I, I think when I was looking up, which I think is a very funny. When does she been like 40? I don't know. I don't know, dude. She was around in the 70s, right? Yeah, but maybe, you know, maybe he was into older, older women. So I, I don't know. I saw something. Did Tom Cruise ever date Cher? Yeah, they had a fling. They had a fling. She was, it was in 1985. He was 23 and she was 38. Jeez. Interesting. So she met, so, oh, wow, this is crazy, dude. This is not important, but go on. No, this is important, dude. We got it. This is so, this is funny material for his personal life, which we need to talk about. This is kind of funky. So he's dating these older women, kind of, you know what I mean? At least for a bit. And I, I don't know, well, well, when we get into, I can't remember if Nicole is older than him or not, but she met Tom at Madonna and Sean Penn's wedding in Malibu. Michelle did. And in like 1985, I guess Cher at one point gushed about their deep connection and hailed Tom as one of her greatest lovers ever. Whoa. So in 2018, Cher reminisced about their romance and she said, a bunch of people who were dyslexic were invited to... <laughs> <laughs> this is such a funny tidbit. 
She says a bunch of people who are dyslexic were invited to the White House, and Tom and I are both dyslexic. I don't know why that's very funny to me, but... And then they didn't go out until way later, but there was a connection there, blah, 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 blah. And I guess then they, I don't know, maybe they, they hooked up at some point. And, uh, and she, yeah, she referred to him as one of her top five lovers. Wow. Terrific. I mean, no surprise there, I guess, right? Um, yeah, and then she said, I mean, anyway, she says, you know, he wasn't a Scientologist then. She says he's pretty hot and heavy for a minute. He's a great guy. Uh, the person that I knew was a great and lovable guy. It's weird. She's like talking about it like he's not that anymore, which is kind of funky. Yeah, interesting. She says they're still friends, but she admitted she was a bit confused about his beliefs. That's kind of funny. So basically, he breaks up with uh, Rebecca de Mornay. Rebecca de Mornay and has a, a, a brief fling with Cher. She's she's getting her rocks off on young Hollywood stud. You know, fresh off of uh, you know she's she's just trying to fuck her depression from Sonny. You know, Sonny's dead. You Sonny's know, still alive, dude. When did Sonny die? In the 90s. Wait, then what the fuck? How did they have this affair? What are you talking about? They Do they divorce and then he died? Sonny died in 1998 because he was a fucking like a congressman. He was skiing and he hit a tree. It was all the rage. I know he hit a tree, dude. It's one of my top biggest fears when I snowboarded. Oh, he, Sonny and Sherry divorced in 1975. Oh, so they still so they'd been divorced. So, dude, that's so funny. I had a whole thing in my mind that like they were each other's great love. He died like sadly and unexpectedly. I mean, which he did. But like while they were still together, I think that's how it was always in my mind and that she like lost the love of her life and then like you know had to come to terms with that or like i mean obviously she probably was still very moved and saddened by his death but you know what i mean didn't you feel that way didn't you feel like they died i don't think i ever thought two fucking seconds about tony and Cher. okay well well Sorry, boo, you know, whatever. Good for you, dude. You never thought about Sonny and Cher. I, I liked Sonny and Cher. Dude, you don't, you don't know shit about Sonny and Cher. You're a fucking <laughs> idiot. All right, guys, Tom, that was our episode. We enjoyed Cocktail. You know, we know it's maybe not one of your finest films, but we had a good time. We had a good time talking about it. And we love cocktails, and we love making drinks, and we love drinking drinks. And ultimately, that's maybe 25 to 30% of the podcast is about making and drinking alcoholic beverages. And, uh, you know, people can say that's, hey, settle down, guys, or something, but we're never going to settle down. Um <laughs> Just like what Tom Cruise in this film, he, remember, he talks to his uncle. He says, I don't want to settle down. And he's like, I ain't never getting married. I ain't never having a kid. And then he does. But we won't do that because we reject modernity. As always, much love to my friend and co-host Parker Smith. Peace and love to our producer, Sam Robinson. Thanks also to Trevor Dowdy for our music. Thank you now to Jamie Justin for our new podcast art. It's phenomenal. Hope you guys like it. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking about Rain Man, and uh, we're excited about that one. That's a a high point in Tom's career, I think, for many, and um, we'll do our best not to do any Rain Man impressions, but uh, it's going to be pretty hard, I would say, to not do it, I I think, but uh, Parker will do it. I won't. Parker does it in private to me all the time, but I don't do it. I don't do it in private, and I don't do it in public, and I just want to make that known to everybody. Parker does. Me, no. Parker do me, no. And so, anyway, join us next week. Hope to hear you there. Thanks, guys. Bye.